0: CASA volunteers are extraordinary, but we're only serving about 35% of the kids who could use a CASA. And it's the most severe, complicated cases that usually rise to the top.
1: Court-appointed special advocates, or CASAs, are volunteers who mentor and support children with open dependency and neglect cases. That is civil cases in which parents have either harmed a child, allowed a child to be hurt, or failed to provide a safe environment for a child in juvenile court. And these children are arguably some of our most vulnerable members of our community. Kids whose parents or guardians can't currently take care of them. So the local Department of Human Services, or DHS, removes them from their homes, generally opens a petition with the court, and initiates a series of events over which these children have basically no control. I'm Laura Love, and along with my co-host Jim Lucco, we're eager to dive into this very, very important topic with two guests who know firsthand the importance of CASA volunteers.
2: Yeah, and we're extremely fortunate today to be joined by Jenny Bender, who's the executive director of Colorado CASA, and the Honorable Bonnie McLean uh, of the Colorado 18th Judicial District. Um, Judge McLean was first appointed to the court by then-Governor John Hickenlooper and has been described by many as one of the hardest-working judges in Arapahoe County, as well as one of the most empathetic, compassionate, smart, fair, and knowledgeable judges on the bench. Um, Jenny has been a part of CASA for many, many years and leads the statewide effort on behalf of the organization. She's deeply committed to the future of vulnerable children and is a former CASA volunteer herself and has actually adopted some pretty amazing kiddos from, from foster care as well. Um, so, ladies, welcome both of you to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having us. What an honor to get to come and talk about CASA, our favorite favorite topic. <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite topics as well, and I'm
1: personally thrilled to, to be having this conversation with the two of you. As you know, Jenny, you and my mother are the reasons I became a CASA volunteer this past year, and I couldn't be happier with the decision. But as you also know, it can be a bit intimidating when you first hear about this program. So Just so our listeners can understand, I know that every judicial district and CASA program has a slightly different requirement for volunteers. And if you can just share, just in a general sense, what is a CASA? How much time does it take to become a volunteer?
0: And who are CASAs? Absolutely. Uh, Well, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. It's a it's a big name, um, but it's also such a big volunteer role. So we uh, have specially trained volunteers who become sworn in officers of the court and they advocate for children who really at no fault of their own are finding themselves in the child welfare system with, a, with an open dependency and neglect, a juvenile dependency neglect or abuse and neglect case. And they're either in the child welfare system or in foster care, which means they're removed from their home. Um, and as a result of abuse and neglect, like you mentioned, Laura, and, um, what do they do, uh, CASA volunteers, they visit the children and the youth. Um, those words are interchangeable. They serve children who are age, you know, birth all the way to 18 and, um, even beyond if the case stays open. Um, they visit the children at least twice a month and they talk to family members, teachers, therapists, um. They talk to just everyone on the case, really they're a team player, um, as a professional volunteer on the case. But what they do is they, they advocate for that child's best interest. What is in the child's best interest? And they put that child's best interest front center in court in front of the judge. Um, and become that voice in court for the child or the youth. And usually the, the child's not attending the court hearings. So the CASA volunteer really wants to make a personal connection for the judge in writing the court report and translating all the information that they're collecting on the case. Um, so they always put a recent photo of the child just on that front page of the court report.
1: Yeah, I my recent court hearing last month. It was fun. I put a few pictures of my kiddo on and, and the judge was so great. She's like, I just love seeing this because it really, it brings this, you know, little human being to life for me. So it was fun to put those photos together for her. So Judge McLean, I have to ask you, what has been your experience with CASA and CASA volunteers?
3: I have to say, I absolutely love when I have a case with a CASA volunteer. Um, we have a lot of parties and players in juvenile court and in these juvenile cases. We have the county attorney. We have the, the caseworker. Uh, we have a guardian ad litem who is the, the trained lawyer, um, for the child. And we have, um, the lawyers then representing the parents. To me, CASAs are the heart of these programs because they truly are there for the children and they give a voice and they give, are able to paint these pictures of the children for the court. So sometimes we get lost in some of the legal issues in a case, and it's always the CASAs that bring us back to the heart of the matter, why we are here and what we're doing um, to help those children. Um, they play an absolutely um, crucial, vital role in our juvenile cases. Um, and uh, without them, we really, we, we really would lose the true essence of the child.
2: Well, and that, that brings up a good question. What what happens, Judge, when there's not a CASA present? Um, what, what, are the, what are the offerings at that point?
3: The guardian ad litem is the lawyer who advocates for the child's best interest, and they, they do an excellent job in, um, in, in making those uh, records and, and advocating for the child. But the CASAs play a really special role. Um, those guardian ad litems have a lot of cases, um, and a lot of times they aren't able to give that one-on-one um, assistance, and mentoring and friendship to the child. Um, that's why CASAs are so important because they can wear so many different hats. Um, in a courtroom, we all have to play our roles and a CASA can fill whatever role needs to be filled. Um, we have CASAs that help children with their homework. We have CASAs that help children with transportation to school, to therapy, um, to, to after school activities. We have. CASAs that will take them to lunch, that will go play with them. There are so many things that those CASAs can provide for children um, that the rest of the players in the system just just aren't able to do. Um, Court cases can be very contentious um, and adversarial. Um, When we have a CASA in the program, there adds a different dynamic because CASAs not only work with the children, but they do build those relationships and the trust and rapport with the parents. And we find that these cases are more successful because the parents are trusting. They know that um, the CASA wants what's best for the child. And a lot of times the CASAs are helping the parents get the resources um, and help them parent the child. Um, So that's an added dynamic that may not be a parent on its face, but that really helps um, move these cases towards permanent homes for these children.
2: Yeah, and obviously the the, the best outcome possible, right? And I think. A big part of the reason we wanted to have this conversation today is to to help people understand what CASAs are and 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 what they do, and it sounds like they do more than I even recognize coming into this. Um, but the, but also talk about the need for uh, for additional CASAs. And Jenny, how, how many children in Colorado right now have have open dependency and neglect cases, roughly?
0: About thirteen thousand right now in the state.
2: And, and how many of them have CASAs assigned?
0: we're really proud to have served over 4,500 children last year. And our number is steadily increasing because people are seeing the need and responding. And especially during this time of uh, of a pandemic, we know there's so many extra stressors on all of us and all of our mental health has been impacted. I think we're kind of dealing with a collective, you know, post-traumatic time right now. And then imagine the extra strain on families that are already coming from a hard place. And so I think um, we actually saw an increase of 16% in cost of volunteer growth during the pandemic. And, and we took it as an opportunity when when we were stuck at home behind our computers and we decided to provide our volunteer training statewide um, and, you know, in local counties uh, virtually. And CASA volunteers are extraordinary, but we're only serving about 35% of the kids who could use a CASA. And it's the most severe complicated cases that usually rise to the top um, in each local program in determining which case gets a CASA volunteer and which doesn't. Um, When we say cases, because CASAs only serve one case, that makes us really a unique volunteer professional. We talked about the team of professionals that we work closely with um, in this very complex system. Uh, That's something very unique about CASA. We only have one case where caseworkers and guardian ad litems, which are the social workers and the attorneys, their their caseloads are overwhelming. And um, so we just want to come alongside and And uh, serve one case through the duration of the case. And Laura asked earlier, you know, what, who is a CASA and what, what is, what are the requirements? And you have to be 21 or older and pass a background check and go through a series of interviews. And then we specially train for 30 hours our CASA volunteers. And the trainings are unique in each different location of the 18 locations um, organized through judicial districts in Colorado. um, We serve. Forty-six of the of the sixty-four counties. So we even have gaps not only in the number of volunteers serving kids. We have gaps in service areas. Some of our our northeastern and southeastern high need areas still don't have CASA programs. So we we have a ways to grow uh, this this program.
2: Well, it's it's encouraging to hear that that people have stepped up over the past you know year and a half or so in, in that way. A sixteen percent growth is is amazing to hear. Um, but we're still. You know two-thirds of the way short for the need of the cases that exist out there what happens to those children that don't that don't have a CASA
0: some local programs, uh, create wait lists and they, they just stay on a wait list until any, any time in the case, anyone can request a CASA volunteer. Um, but some programs, if they, if they don't get it at case opening, then they just move on to the next case because they we do have very large programs and, um, we're so unique in Colorado. Uh, we're one of nine states in the nation that deliver Human Services Department of Human Services through the counties. So each county really uh, operates very unique to the to the needs of their community. And if you think about Colorado, we're huge geographically. We've got urban, suburban, and rural CASA programs. Um, I can tell you from the bench
3: that, um, we do have to be careful, um, because we only have, we have somewhat limited CASA resources. Um, so we try to make sure that the CASAs are on those cases, um, that have the highest need, um, for a CASA. Um, but I, I can also tell you if I say, hey, we need a CASA on this case, there's going to be a CASA by the next court date. They, they make it happen. Mm, I'd love to hear that.
1: So I will, I will just be really vulnerable. I have, Never experienced the nerves that I felt before my first court date. And I didn't actually even walk through the doors of court because I have been virtual and because I've been a CASA since the pandemic. So I've actually never stepped foot in the courtroom as a CASA, but even getting on the video to represent, you know, our family in this time, I was really nervous. So I'm sure that other individuals that are considering becoming trained to become a CASA feel the same way. Do you have any advice for them, Judge, of things to think about when you're in front of someone like you?
3: So I think that's, that's very normal. Um, I hope that all of our judges across the state do everything they can to put not only the CASAs, but everyone in a case at ease. Um, our whole goal is to, um, you know, achieve permanent safe, safe homes for these children. Um, and so we want everyone, um, not to be nervous, um, but to, but to present the evidence. I think there is, It is appropriate to be a little bit nervous because you are in a courtroom and you're presenting to a judicial officer who is in charge of making these very important decisions. Um, The most important thing is um, to um, speak clearly and advocate um, for the child and let the court know the updates. Um, that's, That's what you're there for, to be that voice of that child. Um, and I can tell you, uh, resoundingly, all of the judicial officers across the state are so appreciative and we really need, um, that, that reminder sometime, um, of, you know, those pictures of those children, um, in our, in those CASA court reports, um, really ground us and, and, and we need to make sure that that voice of CASA is heard.
1: Well, I will tell you, I went in thinking it was going to be like law and order. And about two minutes into it, I was like, wait a minute. It's like talking to a friend. You know, she's yeah. so much. Our judge is so wonderful. And she's truly interested. It wasn't, you know, it was just like a it was a conversation. So thank you for that. And um, you're right. Two minutes. Then it was good.
2: <laughs> it's good to know that Laura has limited experience in a courtroom. Um, that's <laughs> at least for me.
1: <laughs> as far as you know. Yeah. As far as I know. That's right,
2: right. right. Jenny, you you alluded to it earlier um, of just how the pandemic, what types of impacts the pandemic has had on on Colorado's children and, and social services. Um, how have you been managing, and, and and what has changed for the CASA system over the past you know eighteen months or so?
0: Um, it was a really scary time, so we we banded together our CASA network throughout the state, um, and everything turned virtual. So we were using an army of volunteers to use FaceTime and to Zoom. And to call kids, we had a CASA volunteer um, actually call her youth who was in a residential treatment facility. Every night they had that that date, and they would read, you know, a good night story together. So, um, but the CASA volunteers they kept showing up. It was really, really important that we we felt like we had a handle on our our kids and how they're doing. They're out of school, you know, how their placement is going, what stressors they might be feeling in their home, Um, and what I really saw, and um, Judge McLean referred to it, is that ACASA is about supporting the whole family, and so we delivered groceries, we delivered gift cards for um, you know, restaurants to go take out, we delivered iPads, we delivered, we just started doing drive-by adoption parties, you know, drive-by graduation parties, um, we never stopped showing up, and we really leveraged technology. Thankfully, in this time, um, we we had the technology to leverage. Um, so we did our, all of our CASA recruitment virtually, and we did our CASA training virtually, and our visits. And then, as as Laura alluded to, um, the the court hearings were virtual as well. So we're so much ba- back in person now. As soon as we could be, we we were, and we and we are. Um, but system wide what we're seeing, um, just a lot more physical abuse, I think, um, in the stressors and the mental health toll that the pandemic has taken. We've seen a lot more broken bones and hospitalizations and a lot more acute cases. Um, So we've had to adjust even in the way that we train our CASA volunteers to advocate for these physical needs for for kids. And in some counties, we've seen an increase in open cases. Um, We saw a the the calls to the statewide 1-800 child abuse and neglect reporting line the month that schools shut down dropped dramatically by over half and stayed low all through the summer of 2020 it doesn't mean that abuse and neglect wasn't happening because we know the stressors were more extreme than ever it just means that um, we didn't have the schools open and the mandatory reporters that we usually have with eyes on children to make those reports. So when schools started to reopen, um, we saw, in some counties, we saw cases start to increase as well.
2: Yeah, and, and same question for you, Judge. What, what, if anything was different, um, for obviously everything's gone to a, to this sort of Zoom format, but what things did you see uh, as, as a result of the last 18 months or so?
3: I, I totally agree with Jenny um, that uh, we went for a period of time where we didn't have eyes on children, um, and we knew that it was the calm before the storm. Um, and then once once school reopened and, and we got people back into the community, um, we did see a, a very serious uptick, and we are seeing more serious cases, although I have to tell you we're still missing a lot. There's still a lot of children that haven't been enrolled back in schools, and there's still a lot that's um, that we're concerned that we're missing. The only thing I'd want to add is that the mental health um, for children and for parents has has also become very concerning. I believe Children's Hospital recently declared a state of emergency because the um, numbers and severity of um, children suffering with mental health crisis has skyrocketed, um, and that's of great concern to us in the child welfare system as well. I do wanna say there's always a silver lining. Um, And one of the things that we have noticed is that we have now gone uh, primarily to virtual court and we are seeing an increased participation by parents um, and also by children um, in our court proceedings. Obviously, we don't have small children attending court, but those teens are able now, we, we don't have to take them out of school, we don't have to move them, um, you know, from their treatment or whatever they're doing, and they can appear in court, and they can, um, oftentimes they are there with their CASA to, to tell the court, this is how things are going, um, and I love having that increased participation. You think that walking through, um, just what, what Laura said, it's, in, it's intimidating to come to court. Um, it's a little less scary when you can just get on video, and that has allowed us to have increased participation, and whenever we have um, parties who are interested in, and have an, a stake in the outcome of a proceeding, having them there at the table always gives us uh, better results.
1: Jenny, we always leave these episodes with a call to action. So if our listeners want to know more, to do more, we want to give them some information so they can do that. What should they do if they're interested in becoming a CASA or just supporting CASA in general?
0: Yeah, either option. Um, you can go to ColoradoCASA.org. I'll repeat it. ColoradoCASA, Cas dot And um, we need more volunteers, uh, specifically volunteers, um, male volunteers and volunteers from diverse communities to really reflect the children and the families that we're serving.
1: And I will just throw my name in the hat. If someone is listening and wants to talk to a CASA who is just learning the ropes, I am always happy to talk to someone as well. So thank you both so much for your time and all you do for our community. We certainly appreciate
0: it more than you know. Thank Thank you for your service as a CASA and Judge McLean. Thank you.
2: What an awesome way to enter the new year! And talking about CASA, um, you know, we're, we're looking for organizations like that where people can get involved and get their hands dirty, especially as we we get back out of this pandemic, hopefully in 2022, and get things back to normal. And we can all get out and get our hands dirty with things and get back into the community and volunteer and that type of thing. So as we get into the new year, um, we would love to hear more recommendations of uh, action-oriented organizations like CASA where we can uh, roll our sleeves up and and make a difference in our community. So. Uh, if you have ideas, we're also looking statewide in 2022. So beyond the front range, if possible, um, we're looking for innovative ways people are diving into CSR programs and diversity issues within their organizations. If you have ideas for for leaders we should be speaking to with any of those topics, feel free to shoot us an email, podcast at groundfloormedia.com. That's podcast at groundfloramedia.com. If you like what you heard, obviously, uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, uh, go to goodandgrounded.com to learn more. And let's get out there and do some good in our Colorado community.